This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. All right, thank you so much for joining us on, perhaps you're joining us on Facebook, on our live stream, maybe on our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC, or on our podcast experience at the Dominion Church Podcast Experience. Thank you for being a part of this time together. I would, I would encourage you, if this blesses you, like it and share it. That'll help more people be blessed as a result. And then on our podcast, if you would please leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. And again, it helps with the algorithm to get our podcast in front of a broader audience. Uh, so in terms of where we are right now as a ministry, the last several weeks haven't been very typical. We, of course, had a special guest with us, Randall Worley, which was amazing. Then the very next Sunday was Easter Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the year. It really is like the Super Bowl of, of, of the church world. You know, I also have been discovering lately that if you really pay attention to the Christmas story, you'll find out that Christmas uh, it gives you all the worth you need to have. Uh, you know, you'll find out Christmas can actually be Easter if you need it to be. Um, how much more affirmation do you need that God's in love with you? It's funny how as humanity we say, well, he died for me, so I know that he loves me. Well, what about he became you, right? Because there's this interesting habit that we tend to become what we love. Okay, maybe this is going to help somebody on us. We're just going to jump straight in deep and we're going we're to track for the next 20, 25 minutes. You have a habit of becoming what you love. Now, on a superficial level and a humorous level, I've had some conversations with Dad about this. Maybe you guys have seen this before. Have you ever seen how honor, owners start looking like their dogs? You ever seen that before? You ever seen the pictures, the comparisons? Over time, you can love your pet so much, you start looking like your pet. So this works, right? Uh, but think about God. He loved us so much that he became one of us. You, you become what you love. And so if, you really, if we really understood the message of Christmas, that God became one of us, you would find all the joy you need in that. That should be proof enough God loves you right there. And then, of course, you add the work of the cross, and you just find out that actually God not only loves us, but he also wants to free us from who we thought we were. That's really what the work of the cross accomplishes. Forgiveness, which is suffering to a large degree. What it, forgiveness is God breaking his own rules, if you want to put it that way. It's God saying, okay, this is how life's supposed to work, but you know what? I forgive you of your sins. It's interesting how God can break his rules, but we feel like we can't. I, I don't want to get into that right now. Some of us, we're more legalistic than God ever imagined to be. Okay. So God became what he loved. And so we have all these things being established and all these things we've been kind of been contemplating over the last several weeks, Easter. And then we had a baptism Sunday, which was beautiful. I think it's still on our Facebook wall. I hope it is. We ended up playing some music we didn't have the copyrights for, and I don't know if they let us keep it up or not. I'm just being transparent. I'm being real right now. Sometimes that happens. 
A little song will slip on the live stream and then all of a sudden all the powers that be say, take it down, do you have permission? So it might be there, it might not, I don't know. Last Sunday we had a family Sunday and we did something that was altogether holy. We came, we fellowshiped, we ate food, and we played together. That was just as holy as Easter Sunday. So here we are today, another unconventional Sunday in the month of April. Actually, this year, this might be the first time I've just shared some thoughts without it being in the context of a series. So just take it. This is a one-off. And we're going to call this message the power of humility because I wanted to name it something that people would be eager to listen to. That's, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. That's actually humor. Uh, if I need to cue you guys in on that, nobody wants to talk about humility. The only thing that wins above humility is suffering. Uh, if you talked about suffering, nobody wants any part of that. You talk about humility, no one wants to sign up for that. So the power of humility. That being said, can I put us on notification for a moment? Suffering and humility, um, man, to claim Christianity, you must embrace those two things. I, I'm just, I'm just going to call it like it is. Now, God doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. But there's nowhere in his word that he says that he will spare us these things. Why? Because a lot of times we have to walk through them to produce something that otherwise would not be produced. So we talk about humility. Just track with me. Like I said, this is going to be short. So if, you, if it's too painful, it's okay. The end is, is soon. So we talk about humility. We have to talk about its antithesis to identify our need for humility. So the word that comes to mind, it starts with a P. You guys know the word, pride, right? And, and, and I've heard this taught uh, through, through much of my life. Pride is so interesting because of the dispositions that we can carry as people, pride has this habit of not being easily identifiable by the person that has it. So in other words, you can walk in pride, and when someone tells you that you have pride, it's devastating to you. Because you're convinced, well, that, that's not who I am. I'm a humble person. Actually saying that sounds pretty proud. That, see, you get what I'm saying? Uh, I, I believe I shared when Randall was here, I said I, I was reminded when he was sharing of a time where we had a minister at our church, and he got to me in a prayer line, and he stopped, and he said, Matthew, humility looks good on you. And I thought in my mind, it, it must. Man, it must look good on me. I didn't realize in that moment what the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate was this. Prophetically, he was trying to tell me, if you would just learn how to be humble, it'll look good on you. But when I heard it, I thought, well, yeah, of course. It looked, even the Holy Spirit can see that I'm humble. You, you get what I'm talking about here. So uh, another word for pride, track with me here, is the word ego. You ever heard that word? Ego. So we're going to talk about ego for a minute. What is ego? Ego, in a very simple way of explaining it, it is the I. It's the self. It is your human perception of who you are. That is your ego. So here we go. So your ego is your conscious mind. Like right now, for those watching online, for those here in the sanctuary, you're looking at me, but there's, you're looking through your eyes at me. There's someone behind your eyes, you, your self-consciousness, Flora, who's behind the eyes, who's also thinking while I'm talking about something totally different. 
The you behind your eyes can be thinking about dinner right now while I'm talking. The you behind your eyes can be like, I don't agree with what he's saying, but you won't say it. It's your awareness of who you are. Okay? So, the ego, your conscious mind, is the part of your identity that you consider to be you. So, when you're in a crowd, and everyone's laughing, and you're, you're the life of the party, but you know you're sad. That's you. That's the real you. You guys okay? So, if you say someone has a big ego, you guys ever used that before? Man, that guy's, well, basically you're saying they're full of themselves. They're they think too much of themselves. Another way of saying they're, they're proud. So the Bible has so much to say about this kind of stuff. But before we get there, I want to talk about the, the flaws of the human ego. It's not wrong to be self-aware. That's, that's actually what makes us human. Did you know this? Don't, don't, don't get bored. We're going to really bring this back on track on, in a more spiritual sense. I feel like some of us feel like, why am, I, why am I in a philosophy class right now? That's not what this is about. It's not psychology. It's not philosophy. It's very much spiritual. So when we talk about the ego, when we talk about who you consider yourself to be, there are components of that that are healthy and components of it that need to either be buried forever or regenerated. Some stinking thinking is another way we could say it. But we carry all this internally. And if we're not careful, there are things about who we believe we are because we've carried it for so long, we're convinced it's who we are. Because we won't submit our ego to inspection. And, and I get it, it's tough. I wish, like you do, that all of our inspections were like this. I could pull into God's service station it's a private encounter, and God just gives me a divine tune-up. Can that happen from time to time? Sure it can. Absolutely. You ever had an encounter with God where you walked away changed? Yes, that's a question. Yeah. Well, actually, every encounter with God should be that. That should be the result every time. Why? Because God does not walk away changed, so we have to walk away changed. But then have you also found out God has this great way of using people to also facilitate these encounters? So if in your ego you lack patience, God tends to put people in your path that require your patience to develop. And they usually don't do it at a philosophical level. They usually don't say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Uh, this is why you need patience. No, what they do is they act in ways that demand patience. He has okay with me. Okay. So if we're not careful, our egos become so flawed and we so buy into all these lies that begin to compile on top of themselves that we're not aware of how deep in it we are. So that being said, I want to look at, in our just a few more minutes we got here, the greatest flaws of the human ego. And this is number one. You can recognize, guys, jot this stuff down. It will help you. It will spare you some heartache in life. If, you, if your ego has taken a hit, I'm talking about, man, you, you've really gotten injured, your self-esteem, your pride is like, ouch. This is the first thing that you want to do. You want to separate yourself from others. So if you see that happening, the desire to separate, to walk away, to say, I'm done, that is pride talking. That's your ego having a bad day. 
You guys okay? No, I, I know nobody wants to hear that. So Romans 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Man, that's tough. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul is saying, be careful. If you get to a place where you're always giving yourself a pat on the back and you're always validating the words coming out of your mouth, you might want to do yourself a favor and figure out how to knock yourself down a few pegs. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Now, there's obviously so much I could say about resisting the temptation to separate yourself from others. Because I've been in the middle of a 10-week study track with President Truth Academy called The Power of Unity. And we have gone every which way I know to go, up ways, down ways, sideways, long ways, crossways, to talk about why we need each other. It's interesting. The capacity that God has created us for unity is so powerful. It amazes me how built within us is the desire to separate when the tough gets going. But it's what we need. Think about it. God, in the narrative of creation, is saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then, boom, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. You ever thought about that? Everything was good until man was by himself. Oh, he, he needs somebody. And, and yes, certainly companionship. But you can't have unity with something if you're by yourself. You guys, okay. Never mind that unity transcends time and space. I mean, you really, if I need to turn up the heat here for a minute. Let's turn this thing on high for just a minute. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The unity God's after is not just the unity of you and your family. He wants you to unify with the family of heaven and the family of earth. And that not only is cross-geographical, it's cross-dimensional. It's cross-historical. You guys, okay, let me, I feel like I'm not making sense. Let's try it this way. When Joseph died, he said, take my bones with you because I want my bones to be in the place of promise. Moses swore an oath. He said, I'll take the bones. And when they, when they finally were freed, they took his bones and they made sure. Hebrews tells us that when he made that declaration, it was by faith that his bones would make it to another place. Elisha's bones, you guys know the account. You had some guys that were running from, from some marauders. They throw this body into Elisha's tomb, and when the body touches his bones, he comes back to life. This is speaking of transgenerational anointing, unity that goes beyond your capacity to even understand it, right? Um, let's see. Uh, da, da, da. Let's see. How about this? Hebrews eleven thirty nine. Uh, it goes into Hebrews 12, verse 1. These were all commended for their faith, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us. Listen, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The writer of Hebrews is saying, these people that have been gone for a thousand years, they need us to play our part so that together we can be perfected. See, I promise you, most of us are not thinking along that wavelength when we get offended and say, well, I'm not even going to come around anymore. Y'all take that. And all you're doing is just showing us that your ego needs help. 
Okay. I know I knew I wouldn't get any amens, but I thought omis oh, or something. The next one is 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 also you can't measure these in degrees of difficulty. They're all equally devastating to our experience. But if you find that your default mode is to separate yourself, that's God. He's trying to show you you got to deal with your pride. Okay? The next one is the desire to be superior. Okay, so I won't leave, but I'll make sure I know more than everybody and I'll be the best. And if I disagree with you, I will show you why I'm right and you're wrong. Again, that is the ego. That is your, that is your imbalanced sense of self trying to make a name for itself. <laughs> How do we process this? Well, again, going back to what I read in Romans 12, 3. You guys know, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. How about Proverbs 11, verse 2? When pride comes, then comes disgrace. So again, we're trying to elevate whatever the issue. This is not just about what we think. It's just, it can be any kind of condescending attitude. Have you also ever noticed that if you act any of these ways, you have a, a habit of making people want to separate from you whether you try to or not? It doesn't take long. People that have a superior attitude find themselves friendless, right? Because nobody wants to be around a know-it-all. You guys okay? Okay, thank you. Rachel, my, my beloved cousin. Got a little bit, little bit of support here. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. Uh, a lot of these verses, and there are many, on pride come from Paul. Paul was the guy that wrestled with a superiority complex for much of his life. You guys know that. As Saul... As a Pharisee, as a member of the Sanhedrin, someone who was likely being groomed to become the high priest, this was a guy who was superior and rightly identified as so. We're even told in Scripture he excelled above all his peers in his wisdom and understanding of the law. It's also Paul who said of himself, I kept the requirements of the law. So this is a guy who has a major superiority conflict, uh, complex, and it's interesting. The bulk of his Christian life is watching that deteriorate over time. This man who was so proud and arrogant in his handling of the law that he could go in and ar arrest and assassinate people at will, and justifiably so, Towards the end of his life, you read words like this from Paul, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. When you have an, an intimate encounter with Jesus and you allow it to really take hold, he knows how to deal with our innermost man. Now, I know this sounds painful, but I also want you to hear this. Maybe I need to interject some rejoicing because it's getting a little heavy in here. That as your ego goes down, your awareness of the Christ goes up. You know, there's another way it's articulated in this, and a lot of times we miss it. I must decrease, he must increase. Those things happen naturally, simultaneously. If you can figure out how to humble yourself, the moment you start, the moment you become aware of his ever-increasing person. Oh, he's been there all along. It's just my pride that's been blocking the view, right? So point number one, flaws in the human ego. Number one, the desire to separate. If you find yourself wanting to do that, humility is the only way out. 
What does that mean? I may have to apologize. I may have to eat some crow. I might have to stand in front of someone I completely disagree with and say I was wrong. Number two, the desire to be superior. There's only one that's superior. He's not you and he's not me. His name is Jesus, and have you ever noticed he did not lord his superiority over anyone? He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And this is the superior God. This is the one true God. And he says, well, I, I came to serve. Wow. And then finally, number three, our final point. This one is tough, the desire to control. Well, if I'm not going to get away and there's someone in the room smarter than me, Maybe I can figure out how to control the situation. These are flaws of self. And God has given us what we need to overcome these things. Again, the key is the same. If you want to figure out how to battle against the desire to separate, humility is the key. You want to figure out how to be free of that desire to be the superior one, humility is the key. What do you think is the key for the desire to control? Humility is the key. You guys know years ago we devoted eight weeks on God's sovereignty and we dealt with the issue of control head on. We made it just about as uncomfortable as possible because we began to find this, that the opposite of love is not fear. The opposite of love is control because things that we fear, we desire to control. Why? Because I can't trust you to be you. So I have to control who you are, and by controlling who you are, I control what you do. And if I can control what you do, I can control the outcome. The problem is, you're the one controlling. And I'm not sure I trust you <laughs> to control, especially when God is not in the control business. God's in the love business. If God were in the control business, he would have, sig he would have sent us a symbol at the beginning. The beginning, in the garden, he gives us choice. If control were the order of the day, he should have just put a tree of life in there and spared us all. But that's not who God is. Why? Because he wants authentic love, and authentic love cannot come about unless you have a choice to not love. And I would humbly submit that is perhaps... One of the greatest and most lasting ways that God suffers. What do I mean by God suffers? He suffers in that what he loves the most, which is us. And he watches us choose not to receive that love. That's suffering on his part. But he's willing to do it that way because he so esteems the value of what love truly is. That he's willing to let it be messy as long as it's real. So since God affords us that level of trust, as people, and I know it's tough, we have to extend it to everyone else. And I promise you, it is liberating. I, I'm speaking from firsthand experience now. Firsthand experience. When I first started getting this revelation, this is how it first came to me. And you guys have heard me use this verbiage before. And when I've had this revelation, the Holy Ghost is the sheriff of the kingdom. That's what Jesus basically tells us. He, he says a little more poetically than that. But he says when he comes, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will do the convicting. And he will convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. In regards to sin, 
right? Uh, and and he, he goes through it all for those who do not believe in regards to righteousness because I go to my father where I can be seen no more in regards to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And as I'm going through and reading that, I actually wrote about that in my last book. The Holy Spirit began to speak to me and said, I'm the sheriff and I did not deputize you to be one. So in other words, you don't need to worry about trying to control people. You can't. Because as soon as I try to do that, I'm speaking as a pastor right now, if I try to control you, you will hate me for it. Why? Because I'm a lousy substitute for Holy Ghost. And since Holy Ghost knows the innermost desires of your heart, and he knows how to communicate truth to you in a way that is truly transformative. The best I can hope to do, now this is not even, this is not even factoring discernment, the best I can hope to do is address your issues at a surface level compared to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives in you. As much as I love all you guys, I don't live inside of any of you. So I don't know what's going on, but he does. So what is my posture as a minister of the gospel? I put my trust in him. And so then all I have to do is focus on righteous identity, focus on God's goodness, focus on your beloved status, and I don't have to chase after the issues the Holy Spirit knows how to deal with. Oh, I can just trust him. And guess what that does? It frees me from having to be a control freak. Thank you, Lord. And then what happens when you're not a control freak? You get to invest yourself in the greatest form of control that's afforded to you. And you'll find it when you, when you start reading the verses on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll go, you'll find this one towards the end of the list that most of us don't talk about. It's called the fruit of self-control. The only control any of us are deputized to walk in is self-control. You take care of you. And the Holy Spirit will take care of them. But you know, you know how it goes. Come on, guys. Let's be honest. You, we all know how it goes. I would rather take control of them because I don't want to look in the recesses of my own heart. If I can get them to behave, it'll make me feel better about how I misbehave. That's not how this relationship with the Holy Spirit works. Well, I, 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 I'm going to have to land this. I feel like this will go in our least popular series, wherever that is. But we'll just we'll, we'll build one and put sessions in it, uh, the sessions nobody wants to listen to. This might be one of those. But uh, I, I just want to pray and communicate this value of the power of humility. Humility is, is a big deal. It's a big deal in our experience. It's a big deal in our maturity. It's a big deal with how we demonstrate the gospel. Again, I, I was doing some studying today, and, and I heard this truth. I thought it was beautiful. It said, you, the, the gospel can be called so many things, but said and done, the gospel is God becoming man. Because it's from that all of the trails we trace concerning gospel find their origin. If God did not become one of us, there is no ultimate good news. And so since God became one of us, and through the life and ministry of Jesus, he gives us an amazing pattern for how life at its optimal capacity looks. Did you realize that's what Jesus did? He showed us what it looks like to be human at its best. Now, some of you are ahead of me because you're thinking, well, he was crucified. Well, yeah, that's, that's part of the point. 
Nothing can truly be its most life-giving if it's not also giving of its life for the sake of something else, someone else. Think about it this way. I mean, this, uh, we'll end it here. So we talk about the son, and he did that for us. He gave his life. And the metaphors of who Jesus is, and by the way, the bulk of how we communicate about God, I'm sorry, but it's all metaphors. We'd, everything has to be like this. It's like God because none of us have a full grasp of what God's all about. We have a clear picture in Jesus, but that doesn't mean we have a clear understanding. And so we have all these metaphors. Jesus is the sun, the bright and shining one. It's even said of himself and his people that we are like light set on hills that cannot be hidden. I think it's also interesting that our, the whole exercise of the universe seems that way as well. Our very galaxy is just that way. We have this giant sun sitting right in the center of it all. But do you know what our sun is doing on a consistent basis? It's dying that it might give life to all of us. You ever thought about that? So the value of the sun is not found simply in its existing as a giant ball of hydrogen. No, it's that it gives of itself so that other things around it might be sustained. Jesus does the same thing. He says, my life is at its best when it is poured out for the sake of others. And we feel like, well, that's not part of my pattern because he did that work. Well, he did do that work, but he invited us to that work as well. And I know that's tough because in our Western culture, the bulk of it is, is prosperity gospel. It's everything's going to be amazing. Everything's going to be great. And guys, I promise you, certainly, yes, that's true from time to time. But there are also moments where you will give of your life so that someone else can have life. And not only should you just be okay with that, you should be more than okay with that, you should feel blessed by it. Because I promise you this, there's never been a moment where someone gave of their life where it wasn't recognized by the Father. So again, when we talk about humility, what is humility? It's a snapshot of what it means to give life. This is what I would rather do, but I'm going to choose to humble myself. I really would like to give a piece of my mind, but I'm going to humble myself. Or as the joke goes, I want to give my two cent worth. My dad used to tell me, you don't have two cent to spare. That's a way of, of humbling yourself. Not only in the presence of the Lord, but where it really starts to make an impact is when I can humble myself in your presence. When I know I've got you, when I know I can make you look like a fool, but now I, I want to bow myself. I want to humble myself. Because said and done, I'm not in competition with you. You can't, you can't be in competition with me because I want you to win. That's how this life is supposed to look. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for this time, Lord. I, I know I did not share this nearly the way that I wanted to, but Lord, just I thank you that you anoint these words. Let them bring life. Let them be seed sown. Lord, keep, keep giving us the meat on these. I know there's some meat that is yet to be put on these bones, but... Lord, just help us with our ego. I think said and done. Help us with our humility. I think especially, sad to say, and it's not by any stretch of the imagination an American problem, but it seems like America, we really have this pride thing going on. So Lord, help us to understand that the authentic gospel goes against that. Now, it doesn't mean... I, 
know, I don't want you to put words in my mouth. It doesn't mean you can't be proud of something. I think it's great. It's healthy to be proud of an accomplishment or to be proud of, uh, you know, I'm just saying you guys get it. There's a difference about being proud of something and being proud of yourself, walking in a stance of pride. But Lord, help us to humble ourselves. And even that's amazing to, to think about. God gives us the grace to where when it's said and done, he'd rather us not have to be humbled by someone else. Because I promise you, when it's said and done, that's more painful. It is more painful for someone else to humble you than it is for you to humble yourself. And so thank you for that grace. And give us the wisdom to identify it as we move forward in this life, in this journey that we have in you, with you. Lord, I just thank you for all these things now, decree them by faith, in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Again, thank you so much, Facebook, for being a part of this. On our YouTube channel, on our podcast experience, like and share it if it's been a blessing to you. And uh, we'll see you next week. We might be starting a new series. I don't want to give it away now because I'm not sure I'm going to commit to it yet. So uh, we'll see. All right, God bless you guys. Have an amazing week, and we will see you again soon.